The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash podshock. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode is also supported by the Podshock Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, now available in the iTunes App Store. Live from Apollo 11's command module, it's Doctor Who Podshock. Doctor Who Podshock. Okay, well, let's do it now. I, you know, whatever it is, if it's valuable, send it to us. <laughs> For the best in all things Doctor Who, it's Doctor Who Podshock, the podcast all about Doctor Who, the longest-running science fiction television program with Louis Trapani. Hello. Ken Deep. Hello. James Norton. Hello. News. Fabulous. Reviews. Oh, no. And fan mail for James. Uh, 40,000. Doctor Who Podshock from the Gallifrey Embassy. You know, that guy James was really cool. Oh, yeah, we blew that. <laughs> I'm the doctor, and who are you? And who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Doctor! This isn't nearly as bad as it looks. It's like he's being deliberately ridiculous, trying to attract our attention. <laughs> what is it? Maybe? A date, a time, a map preference. I think it's an invitation. Look, TARDIS blue. Doctor Song, sir. She's packing. Says she's going to some planet called America. This is it, yeah? Right place? Howdy. Doctor! <laughs> it's the pond! And Rory the Roman! Ooh. Hey, nice hat. I'll wear a Stetson now. Stetsons are cool. <laughs> Hello, sweetie. Sorry, what are you two doing? They're both time travellers, so they never meet in the right order. They're sinking their diaries. I've been running. Now it's time for me to stop. And tonight, I'm going to need you all with me. Okay. Pick men of trip. Where? Space. 1969. Hello! And since when do you drink wine? I'm 1103. I must have drunk it sometime. Oh, white's horrid. I, I, I thought it would taste more like the gums. 1103? You were 908 last time we saw you. And you've put on a couple of pounds. I wasn't going to mention it. Who's that? Hmm? Who's who? What did you see? You said you saw someone. <laughs> no, I didn't. Ah! The moon! The moon landing was in 69. Is that where we're going? Oh, a lot more happens in 69 than anyone remembers. Oh, my God. You all need to stay back. Whatever happens now, you do not interfere. That's an Apollo astronaut in a lake. Hello. It's okay. I know it's you. What's he doing? Oh, no! Amy! Don't stay back! I'm sorry. Dead. This is impossible. Whatever that was, it killed him in the middle of his regeneration cycle. His body was already dead. Well, if I can save you some time, that most certainly is the doctor. And he is most certainly dead. We can't leave him here. Or anywhere. What do we do, Rory? There's a boat. If we're going to do this, let's do it properly. <laughs> Thank you.
the Gallifreyan Embassy presents Doctor Who Pachak episode 244. This is Louis Trapani, and joining me on this episode is Mr. Dave Cooper in the UK. Hello, Dave. Hi, Louis. Great to be here. Thank you. Good to have you back. Also with us is Graham Sheridan, the a.k.a. the second doctor. Hello, Graham. Good evening, fellas. <laughs> it's looking mighty canting from here. Graham is also... I'm sorry, is, is also across the pond, and uh, not in the UK, though, but in Germany. So it's, oh, yes. it's nighttime okay, there. The well, it's both night for both of you there. Yeah, can I take the opportunity to say well done to Podshock for winning the SFX uh, podcast award in their recent awards. Well done to Lewis, Kelly, and James. Great stuff. Well, thank you. Well done to all those that had voted that, um, you know, it was an honor just to be nominated for us. So uh, it's something that, you know, we didn't actively, you know, participate in. We just were uh, notified that we were nominated and um, then, you know, we encouraged people to vote, but that was it. So, you know, hats off to everyone that participated and, and vote and, um, you know, we appreciate it. It's, 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 off. Is that a Fez or a Stetson? <laughs> it could be either or. Stetson, mate. <laughs> it's got to be a Stetson. So we're here. Thank you. Uh, oh, I should say, in, in the wake of Friday's event, we are gathered here today to witness the review of <laughs> <laughs> The Impossible Astronaut. And I'm going to try my best not to flubber and say The Impossible Planet because I've, I've have, I knew that was going to happen. And, and eventually I did type it out in the, one of, um, one of the um, articles that I wrote on our website. Um, but luckily, um, it, someone else caught it and I corrected it. So we are reviewing The Impossible Astronaut. And the Dave of the Moon. No, I'm only kidding. The Day of the Moon. <laughs> no mooning for jokes me. Now. Making my jokes now, eh, Lewis? <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. No, no, I, I got to give credit. One, isn't it? I, I'll have to give credit to Graham. He did originate that, so. <laughs> uh, you realise that the uh, the impossible astronaut is going to be the, the new uh, thing that people get mixed up. Before it was the seeds of death and the seeds well, of Well, exactly. That get mixed up. That's what I said as well. And, yeah. <laughs> well, it won't be the first time that you had, I, as you know, as witnessed by that, those two uh, stories that Doctor Who has two similar titles. So, but I'm actually very happy that we are reviewing both of these together because it's uh, to review just the impossible astronaut I found to be very difficult. I did that as a um, as a bonus episode in the last Sonic News Driver, and um, and I literally reviewed it without seeing before seeing the day of the moon. So I just found it, you know. Anytime you have to stop in your tracks and review a story midway through, it's like being pulled out of a movie halfway through it and then asked to review it without seeing the second half. So it's um, it's always difficult. So I'm glad at least we got to see for the show for Dr. Upachak, we were reviewing both of them together. And um, though it does not mean that everything's tied up and everything's answered, that certainly isn't the case, but that that's that's fine. It's still the beginning of the series and and maybe some things won't ever be completely answered and you know and it is um you know it, it that's fine too so i do feel uh, envious by the way louis of those people who were lucky enough to see this in the the theaters uh, to see the you know the two yeah. episodes apparently when the first episode ended they went straight into episode 2 and um and there's been lots of speculation about whether they were going to be aired originally on the same weekend and uh, well yeah i had heard I, that I, rumor 
And I had uh, I was wondering the same thing. Um, there was a rumor going on that there was going to be that the first one was going to be shown on one day, and then the following day will be the other one, and that never that didn't come to be. But uh, it kept on getting chopped and changed. I heard that it was, basically it was supposed to be the next day, first of all, and then uh, supposed to be the the Monday. It's supposed to be getting shown, and then they stopped the idea. It, it, mainly the problem was coming because the royal wedding was on the Friday. And they thought they might affect figures. And looking at the overnights, uh, it possibly did. But it might have been the fact that nobody understood part one, or the people that the one million people that stood away uh, or stayed away, but said uh, were the ones that didn't understand part one at all. So uh, because the figures dropped. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I, bit there. I know the UK overnight ratings for the um, the day of the moon was I think five point four million if i remember correctly and again that's just limited to the uk yes. well again it was uh, it was the early time start and um, mm-hmm. obviously we are actually having good weather here in the uk yeah it's starting very early too it, it was um six o'clock was it indeed yeah yeah so that's still yeah uh, i mean he, get, here get it's still daylight it's it's i mean at this time so Whereas uh, the Impossible Astronaut for BBC America broke uh, their records for most, you know, most watched live and and same day ratings, so uh, they did very well. I have it on our website. I, I don't have those figures ex- memorized, but uh, if you want more information, net, we have an article about that there. Okay, so we can what we can do is we can start talking about the impossible astronaut and uh day of the moon and um i have some you know thoughts about the first and since um you know we didn't have a show last week because of the holiday and by the way there's no show next week either because there's uh it's mother's day in the in the u.s so we're going to be doing in two weeks time we'll be going to we'll be recording two live shows back to back reviewing the next two episodes which i believe is um, the what is it the something of the black spot um, the black spot the, the something what is it called again something black spot um, yes that one the, uh, the day of the <laughs> not day curse of the black spot. curse curse, curse. Black. yes Thanks, curses that was <laughs> curses yeah and uh, the one after that the is doctor's, doctor's wife the doctor's wife yeah. which oh and by now. Now that we've, we're talking titles, we should just sound off the spoiler alert now. We're reviewing these two episodes, so obviously if you have not seen these two episodes, you maybe might want to hold off listening any further until you have, because uh, we're going to be, you know, we're not going to hold back on anything that's that at least pertaining to these two episodes as far as uh, spoilers go. So just be aware of that and take note of that. So, okay, so The Impossible Planet. Uh, I did it. I did it. I said it. All right. Impossible Astronaut. (laughs) (laughs) I I knew this was going to happen, but hey, hopefully now it's out of the way and it won't happen again. So then The Impossible Astronaut, uh, it starts off uh, in a very um, comical way or a humorous way in a sense. And right away, as far as, uh, as as soon as it starts off in that beginning teaser, I, I noticed a distinctly different um, flavor of the music right away, so uh, I already knew that you know that maybe this series is going to have its own perhaps theme or, or different. It just sounded right away. You can just sound it just sounded different than what you're used to hearing in Doctor Who as far as musically is concerned. As far as the mucus, music is concerned, and and speaking of technical stuff, I just overall I'll just say that um, the episode had 
good editing and I thought the lighting and the design were also spot on as well. But the story picks up in the near future after Amy and Roy apparently had left the TARDIS and the Doctor. So uh, it doesn't pick up immediately after where the last series ended. Perhaps, you know, because they were on their honeymoon, right? After the wedding, they, they, went, on, they went into the TARDIS and left, right? So we don't know what ha- happened after that. So I guess that might leave things open for future stories, you know, perhaps books, comic books and whatnot. Uh, it certainly does. I mean, the, the whole fact that uh, we have, unless this whole uh, timeline loop gets closed in, in some way, it sort of uh, like ends up a, an oxbow on a river and is uh, you know, taken out of time. We have uh, the fact that the Matt Smith Doctor, the 11th Doctor, has another 200 years uh, of adventures. Um, so uh, the strange thing about that is that when we have seen earlier doctors uh, we know they can live to long age as far as i think we know mm-hmm. uh, yeah. the first doctor the william hartnell doctor is possibly about 500 years old in that one body but he doesn't look like a 30 year old for all of that life he does slowly but imperceptibly age uh, and so although he may be 50 or 60 in his body type he's actually 10 times older than that but one would have expected that the the uh, the doctor that uh, meets them on the uh, on the the car and goes on the picnic with them and is is drinking his wine gum wine uh, and then he says his age um, one would have expected him to appear somewhat uh, more aged you know they could um, they could have done but that but but certainly it gives a two hundred year timeline for adventures to be written for. Unless it snaps out of existence, of course. Yeah, because obviously that you know we don't know how the series is going to end and how they're going to wrap up. The scene that you're talking about takes place in the U.S. in Utah and where we see. Well, I, I don't need to be coy anymore. I already sounded the spoil alert. So yeah. uh, we we see the doctor killed there. So we don't know whether or not that will be undone by the time the series ends because obviously we're going to expect that once Matt Smith decides to leave that there will be another actor taking <laughs> taking the the place and um there there will be a 12th doctor we assume so obviously that will have to be remedied somehow uh but it, but the, but the yeah. point that you were making as far as him age you know having him aged a bit maybe put a few gray hairs in or, or whatever they they could have done that my pet peeve was that his 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 clothes were pretty much exactly the same and um i was hoping that maybe with uh, the current doctor who would get back more to um the john pertwee and tom baker errors where the doctors um, dress was a style less, you know, was was more of a style and less of a uniform. Once JNT came, everything seemed to become a uniform. But but before that, you would see, you know, especially you know with the third Doctor and and um, even Tom Baker's Doctor, Doctor, you would see from story or, or especially from season to season, whatever you'll see his uh, his his clothes would be different. You know, wouldn't it be? And I think. If you probably look closely, probably uh, Matt Smith is probably wearing a different shirt, perhaps a different tie, but it was hard to tell. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he had a different bow tie on, uh, basically, so you could tell the difference on that. Even though it's the pattern, as it was close-ups, now there was sort of like um, rectangular mm-hmm. pattern 
uh, in in uh, actually on the bow tie itself and the silver. I mean, the looks of it, uh, that's probably about the only thing you're really going to see changes that and his and his braces. It was a requirement of the storyline, wasn't it? No, they they had to have the shock factor of um, the scene in the uh, diner. So yeah, they they don't want to make it too that. obvious that this was a not a different doctor, but a future doctor right away, though they, they did, you know, tip the hat with the age thing. So obviously now this um, was shot in the U.S. and it was um, the first time that pr- the principal actors shot in the U.S., though, despite promotions by BBC America, this is not the first time they were shooting in the U.S. So if you remember Daleks in Manhattan, they did shoot some scenes here in New York and uh, obviously without the principal actors. So this is the first time shooting with the principals that, um, in the U.S. And Tara Wheeler, Dr. Pajak correspondent, uh, Tara Wheeler was there, and she's also on, on the Happiness Patrol. She was at fan camp, and she uh, earned the name of iPad Lady. So I was hoping that maybe she might join us today, but uh, I hadn't heard back from her to get her first-hand accounts of being there on location somewhat watching I think, this all transpire. I think I saw her trailer on the uh, Confidential in the distance. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. It was uh, quite literally just around the corner of the um, of the lake there. And if you want to go look for it, uh, one of the, the girls that she actually does a podcast with called uh, Lila Sandstrom, uh, she actually put up a photo of it uh, from the actual Confidential. And it's like a little speck in the distance, but you could just about see them. So that's pretty cool. But uh, I was kind of hoping that, well, maybe later on uh, in one of the other confidentials that we'll see some of the people we know then also from the New York um, showings yeah. uh, of, of this. I, because for me, that would be fun. As you were saying before, this must be fantastic on, on a big screen, uh, well, big cinema screen, because it, it looks fantastic yeah. on 32 inches, though. Well, this does have a very cinematic feel to it, these two episodes, and I would imagine seeing it on a huge screen would make a, a huge, no pun intended, but a, a huge difference, yes. And I saw, yeah. when I saw um, The 11th Hour on it, on the big screen in New York last year, it was, because it's shot in HD, so it translates to a big screen very well, you know, as opposed to, you know, the SD episodes, you know, standard definition episodes probably wouldn't um, handle, you know, wouldn't... Um, translate so well to the big screen, but th- yeah. and this of course, does very well it on the big screen. They're showing it presumably at a much higher bit rate than the televised version. Basically, the the quality that would end up on a Blu-ray, I would have thought. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, picture-wise, you couldn't fault it in the slightest. Uh, I mean, okay, the the plot may have lost some of the people uh, due to the fact that this is a point I was discussing with uh, with Tim. Drury uh, earlier today over Twitter, and it's the fact that you've got this enemy now, this uh, silence, as I call it collectively, silent singular, who basically as soon as you see them and turn away, you've forgotten them. So the way that this is all edited together, for me, reflects the way that those things, so you can roughly work out uh, with, with the cuts and that, where this is actually happening. And it, for me, it was um, it was the thing that uh, I've been recently through the last week watching series four or rewatching series four again. The fact is, it was the same sort of thing that was happening uh, once Donna Noble uh, was in the computer, Cal. Uh, the same sort of uh, 
choppy uh, jump into the next scene sort of things where things are missing. Um, it's quite like the, the second part uh, where just as Amy's looking uh, at a reflection of herself in a window that all the, the lines start appearing uh, on her face and arms and that, or it would seem so. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can, I can only presume from that point that uh, she's seen the silence and she's forgotten. Does, well, seen the silence, does a mark on her on skin somewhere and forgets. Does another scark and forgets. And uh, just keeps going around in circles. So oh, this is quite a remarkable alien they've brought in, um, as far as I'm concerned. They only weapon, they only have two weapons, the first being that uh, nobody can remember them, but the second being if they really need to get rid of anybody, that they basically just feed off them as if they never existed in time. And, no, 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 they have a third weapon. They can also suggest things, because the whole premise of this show was that um, they needed a space suit. So it was their, it was their desire that had uh, influenced America to go to the moon. So, I mean... Yeah, well, it's that, it's that desire, but the thing is that they, the weapon that the people don't remember, uh, once they've been told that, or steered in that direction, that is still that same weapon. So um, I don't see it that differently, Dave. The fact is that um, it's a quite an amazing-looking alien, especially in that, the, the first shot in the toilet where Amy comes across, uh, across the silent... Uh, the second, across, third... She yeah. sees it on the hill. She sees it in the Oval Office entrance. Well, the first, first time. The first real encounter. The first real encounter. Well, the, the, the first dialogue, at least, see it with them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and but and, in, in that scene, we see them kill someone. You know, after she, you know, turned around a couple of times. Or I mean, there was a Star Trek reference there as well. Uh, but we don't really see them killing other people, and and if they do go around killing people, I mean, are these just missing people then afterwards? I mean, there's no, uh, you know, since no one's aware of the aliens, they don't have any, um, you know, these well, people again, just to, to, wind to, up to give the pun, it's probably their final solution if somebody, you know, becomes troublesome. But you, but you would but think they, they would have done it with with Amy, or well, well they, they I guess they. They have other plans for her or whatever because, uh, you know, they exactly. kept her alive. Well, the thing is whether the, her pregnancy is being well, that's influenced the thing. by our thing. But the, th- the other thing is that I did think they did cheat once slightly where we have the scene much later on where they're in the catacombs and River Song has broken through the... The, the lock into the the ship, the ship that we first see in the lodger are a, at least a similar model to that. Outside, we see Rory go outside, and then there's suddenly a very similar-looking flash of light and sound, and we wonder whether um, Rory has been uh, dispersed, but there seems to be no reference of that in part two. But we might be jumping ahead because uh, people listening might be thinking we're, we're dismissing the whole first part of the story. I mean, I thought it was an absolutely... Brilliant, brilliant introduction to Doctor Who, except, of course, um, for people who are new watchers, new viewers, because um, one of the, the big bugbears of some films for me are things like Batman, where, you know, you learn about Batman, then you see another film and it tells you how Batman started, then you see the fourth film and it tells you how Batman started, and you never get away from first base. I mean, this was really throwing people in at the deep end. They were on a roller coaster, and, and apart from a few very minor... Uh, lines that they gave Rory as the sort of uh, he's the new one, so he has to explain things. Mm. They were asking an awful big um, leap of faith for anybody coming in. I mean, I would imagine anybody who watched Lost uh, X Files 
would have a similar experience. Well, the, the good thing, though, this with this story is uh, you just said it was like a roller coaster. So once you, I mean, if you, if you haven't seen it before, you'll just hang on for the ride and, and enjoy it. And I think you'll worry about trying to, you know, fill in the gaps later on. And even for longtime viewers, th- these two episodes uh, open up a lot of questions and not all those questions are answered. So uh, I, even for, you know, seasoned Doctor Who viewers, <laughs> this uh, opens up a lot of you know questions so but but getting back like to that. i'm sorry go ahead i was gonna say i mean i i really like this because it's it's on such a cerebral a cerebral level uh that i don't have time to get bored because i have this slight attention deficit problem and, and it's something's got to drag me right in there and i had no time to have a, a deficit problem there yeah. there's far too much to go on if you if you it's uh if you blink you miss it and don't blink. It's part the, for me part of the joy of it all. Um, something you need to think about, but unfortunately, as a casual viewer, this is an absolute nightmare. Um, but I mean, there's, there's things that I just bring in from the text, if you don't mind, uh, quickly. Um, there's been a wee chat here from uh, GCMAN. Uh, it's because uh, there was a question being brought up about um, about the uh, why they're all wearing these black suits as such and it's this sort of the well, the men in black yeah, image yeah. Uh, well, that, that was my question originally with the, the impossible astronaut you know when we first see these aliens and that the and in the impossible astronaut it was never revealed who they really were we just you know diehard fans knew who they were but we, you know as you said the casual viewer would just know them as aliens and why they were all wearing Earth suits. But later on in Day of the Moon, it's explained that they, you know, they're parasites and they just use, uh, I'm assuming they just use humans since they've been here since the dawn of time, you know, with the wheel and fire and all that. I guess they they just have yeah. Earth people make suits for them. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> And and they forget. <laughs> these are the, the, the local these are the measurements. We've never threaded even with those things. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, uh, this, uh, I was waiting for the the, the first um, naughty jokes to come out because you just got to look at those hands. Just, I think there's part. I mean, yeah, I don't find most <laughs> Doctor Who monsters scary. They're not in the slightest. They don't creep me out in the slightest. Uh, I've watched other things that have, but I've got to say this is probably the, the first creature that has got given me the creep factor, which means it has to be something special, and it comes from that uh, the toilets meeting scene, basically, uh, where the uh, the silent then sucks the life out of Joy to the part that she's never existed, and um, they are well creepy. Uh, done a good job on those, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. The thing oh, that they the thing that that reminded me of where it basically seems to she she was sort of disappeared and her clothes just exploded reminded me a little bit about the the latest film war of the worlds where yeah. you know you have all the clo- empty clothes fluttering down to earth um yeah. but uh, i thought they were not that creepy until we saw in part 2 amy in the um the children's home and they were hanging from the ceiling a little bit, as I mentioned before earlier in our other show, the, 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 I wonder if the crillotane has absorbed some of these because they were sort of hanging back light from the ceiling, weren't they? Yeah, it was a very sort of, uh, to bring in uh, Joss Whedon's show, it's very sort of Buffy-like, um, sort of within the first sort of series, if you remember their, their, their version, their master there sort of very sort of similar sort of skin type and they're all hanging from the ceiling. It's very sort of creepy. 
uh, and you know, I keep getting told this is the scariest and the scariest and scariest and the angels are scary and I don't find them scary the, idea, the concept is, is is good but I didn't find them scary in sliders but this is sort of the first time I'm like these mm-hmm. guys are actually, generally, actually genuinely creepy so. yeah I, I think they nailed the, the aliens well the silence very well here and it, if you saw the confidential you'll see that uh, it was based on the, the painting the screen by I think it was um, Edward Munch who has that uh, that famous yeah. iconic painting of the screen so they, they were sort of basing them on that and I think they pulled it off very well and, and not only that but just the, their size because they're very tall and um, they have that presence and the, the way they moved and all that really created you know the whole and, and the lack and of speech, first, really. Yeah. yeah, when you first see them, they don't look as though they've got mouths, do they? No, they, d- they uh, don't and, look and like they, they do. The, the, um, the CGI worked extremely well at that point. In fact, the, the whole uh, technical specification of the whole thing was marvellous. And um, thank goodness they did go to America for this, because, as again, as they said in the confidential, the, the light was just different. I mean, uh, using Monument Valley and that gave such a grand scale to it. I mean... That that first clip that you played, um, I mean, really, what an opening five, ten minutes of Doctor Who. One of probably the best openings ever of uh, Doctor Who since, well, I can't think uh, when, really. Maybe Blink mm-hmm. for, for the fact that it hooked you. I mean, it was absolutely splendid. There were some strange choices, by the way. Um, I, I do feel as though, because we are supposed to be talking about this... I mean, I don't think you want to blend the two episodes together, but, I mean, when the uh, Amy and Rory first arrive in America, you know, we're, we have a school bus going to nowhere, but... Yeah, we also have that, the doctor. that's a bit odd, because why would they, you know, and, unless it was... Yeah. They were just moving a school bus from one location to another. I mean, it didn't... It, it uh, seemed uh, to... Yeah, and would school buses in America pick up a strange adults, you know? Oh, yes, we've got a f- bus full of children here. Come on board, you know? <laughs> Were there kids in there, or was it an empty bus? No, no. But it was an empty forget- bus. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah. And the other thing is, because the doctor had chosen, uh, you know, um, a vintage car, as it were, you're thinking, well, are we still in 19, you know, 2011? But, um, well, we should- again, uh, brilliant. Yeah. I, yeah. I, Dar's already mentioned, but I'm sure he'd bring it up himself there, that, that people use the bus, uh, use, uh, I used school buses, uh, which for me, you know, I saw it in, in Canada when I was over there years ago. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not too unexpected. They, they explained in the confidential that originally it was going to be a truck, and then they decided to uh, to make it more Americana by including, you know, a school bus, a typical yellow school bus that you don't get in the UK. So, you know, they wanted to maximize they're the fact that they're in the US and um so yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's probably the, the the usual problem that um the fact that they wanted to drop as many icons in as possible uh i mean you, I'm, you, I'm fine with monument it. valley there's one big one you know and <laughs> as long as it doesn't fly if, as long as it's on a flying bus i'm fine with it <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, stuff like that. It's, it's trying to get as many sort of icons in. That's why the you know they've gone for the 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 launching of Apollo Eleven and the fact that you've got uh, an American actor with a lot of um, well, that, rubber that, on his face. Yeah. Playing. 
I mean, we shouldn't gloss over that either. The, I think it was brilliant casting. When I first heard they had cast Mark Shepard, you know, I was familiar with him from his uh, role in the the reimagined Battlestar Galactica, and I thought he was amazing in that. And uh, so I was really looking forward to seeing what, you know, he was going to do in Doctor Who. And I think, you know, he, he didn't disappoint at all. And I thought uh, adding to that brilliant casting was, um, and we're talking about uh, Mr. Canton Delaware the Third. Uh, the, yeah. uh, seeing him, his senior self was actually his father, uh, William Morgan Shepard. So I thought that was also brilliant casting because um, and, another Star Trek reference, of course, Lewis. He's been in quite a few Star Treks. Has he? Yeah. Okay. Oh, and Elvira, yeah. Mistress of the Dark. <laughs> it's like I was, I was looking at his face. It's like where do I recognise his face from? I just realised it's Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, when the, the film came out in the sort of late 80s. But um, it was actually Mark Shepard himself that suggested that they get his father in mm-hmm. as a yeah. more better way to do it, you know, the family sort of, the family likeness. And I know Mark mainly from Firefly, uh, where he plays Badger. Um, as I sort of finally found out who he was playing, and, you know, this uh, Canton uh, Everett Delaware III, and like, Mark, I know that... And the first thing I screamed was Badger. It's, it's the, it's the mm. character I associate with him the most. Um, well, but what a brilliant character to bring in there. He, um, for me, it's a, a great new character. Hopefully he may come back. Uh, in right. The way, Dave? Yeah, the, well, the father was in the Schizoid Man from Star Trek, and he was in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, which might have passed most people by. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you you barely recognise him as well because he's on a ton of uh, Klingon makeup anyway. Hmm. And of course, he's from the UK, even though he sounds very American. I think he's lived in America for a long time. I, I do want to also, since we are speaking of casting, make a point of Stuart Melligan, who um, played Richard Nixon, President Richard Nixon. I thought he did a fantastic oh, job there. Yes. I, when I first saw the. The prequel, if it was as it is, you know, as as they're calling it, I just assumed they found an actor that resembled Nixon, and that was it. But they, he's actually have he actually has uh, some facial prosthetics on to um, to really capture that the Nixon profile. But I think it's really the actor that his his acting performance really personifies, you know, really brings the Nixon character to life. There, uh, I think it, it, it seems slightly different in the second episode. He seems to be a, a little less. Uh, of a strong character and a little bit played for humor in the second Yeah, he but didn't really have a significant redemption. role in, um, you know, day. Of the, I mean, for the parts that he played, he made a difference. But, I mean, it, his, his part wasn't that sizable. And, um, and, 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 yeah, a lot of it was sort of like, you know, just done for... He was actually being the... Sci- basic role in the second one was to be the psychic paper for the Doctor. In other words, you know, uh, yes, this man is working for me rather than the doctor flash the psychic people and say, look, this is from the president. I mean, basically, that, that was his role. Oh, you've you got to laugh. It's like the ultimate. You're like, get out of jail free card. Oh, yeah, yeah, another president. Will you please let this man free? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the voice was fairly spot on because you watch, going to the confidentials, the actor himself, he says... Yes, he sat and listened to the way that uh, he spoke and how P's were pronounced as a speciality because uh, it was part of uh, Richard Nixon's uh, actual speech pattern itself that was a thing we had with his P's. Um, yeah. He... Stuff like that. And I think he went into, went well into that in the, in the right sort of way. Um, the, the fact that he's, he's thought about it and, and gone in it. You know, it's a proper like character actors used to do in the old sort of days. 
know, look how this guy, you know, if you're playing a specific role. Well, if if we jump ahead to the end of um, Day of the Moon, where uh, one one thing that that doesn't really seem to um, make sense as far as Nixon is concerned is that he was originally he brought he brought uh, he called Mr. Canton Delaware the Third in to investigate those phone calls that he was getting of this little girl and all that. So that was the main you know that's what started this whole thing. And at the end, he really. Um, doesn't question who the girl was and makes you know he has, he has he seems to like completely forgotten about the girl himself you know and it was you know i i just thought that right. you know that was sort of a loose end there as far as his character goes can, can i ask you one question again before you bring others in our play clip is um what did you think of the way america was portrayed uh darth i'm sure will be bursting to come in soon because um you know there were certain uh characterizations of the American people, you know, the facts about guns and so on, and indeed, you know, the, the way the Oval Office and things were done. How, as an American, did you feel that this British show, uh, you know, uh, exemplified America to the world, as it were? Well, I think, you know, they pretty much um, were, you know, when when they could they they took upon, they took advantage of you know typecasting or and and it's not you know some of it is well, some of it's yeah stereotyping rather is what i meant uh and some of it's deserved as well so i you know i i didn't you know the stuff that i found found maybe a little uh, off i didn't take offense to i just but it's i understand where it's coming from and and some of it's um you know i i if anything, it was um, it could be considered lenient, you know, as far as how the rest of the world sees Americans sometimes, and um, you know, it's it's unfortunate, you know, that's the case. But you know, at the same time, they also um, very much uh, honored Americans, you know, calling you know the, the the American heroes as far as the astronauts go, and you know, and and tipping the hat to uh to nasa and and what it meant to the world and the fact that it had and how we were all just you know that that day in 1969 in july we were just one planet it really even though it was america that that went to the moon it wasn't you know it it, it was mankind that made that leap you know and so i i think i think it worked both ways i think there was um you know there's um that and i forget his character's name uh that the, in the orphanage in day of the moon the doctor that was there that was remaining there in the abandoned orphanage uh his i found his accent to be a little off you know <laughs> it just it seemed like a, kind of odd because he does an american well he he had this southern no, it's, it's canada canadian somebody said i i don't know but it just seemed very and and i just took it upon that he, what he's been you know what he's been through there for because he still thinks it's 1967, so you figured he's been there for a couple of years doing probably the same thing every day and forgetting what he's done and whatever. So I, I'm sure his mind is a little shell-shocked. Yeah, he's Canadian. Yeah. So uh, but we should talk a little bit about um, Day of the Moon. Dave, you had spoke about how um, the Impossible Astronaut, how that opened, and that was the most uh, like thrilling opening that we've seen in Doctor Who. And I thought Day of the Moon did that just as well. It was very cinematic. And also, unlike 
what we might have expected. It did not pick up right away with the cliffhanger that was, um, you know, in the impossible astronaut. And it, you know, all of a sudden we're three months later and, you know, Amy, Rory and River are all scattered about and um, Amy is being chased. And, you know, it's what's going on here. So it's and, and the doctor is a prisoner with a beard and um very interesting, and I, you know, I, I think it was a nice choice to uh, to do instead of, and again, now we have those three months that we don't know exactly what took place, and probably the characters don't even know exactly what took place too because they keep on forgetting. So that's um, an interesting gap there. That's uh, that that. Yeah, I, I can forgive the gap. I, I just feel as though there was that slight um, feeling that that Rory might have been taken or killed or. Now, what's the deal with Rory? They didn't address that. I could certainly ex- accept the, the three-month gap, and it did lead from that sort of uh, um, north by northwest starting point. Yeah, uh, yeah. you know, of Amy um, running about, and then as um, the, the the beautiful switcheroo to the, uh, and I think as somebody christened it on our show, uh, the Batman Arkham Asylum, <laughs> the children's home. Well, you know, the, as they go through into that. What um, we later on in, in the day of the moon, the doctor asks Rory about his experience being a Roman and waiting all that time and all that. So, so are we left to believe that Rory is an auton? Is he still? I mean, is that what he is? No, I think it's just a, a residual memory. Yeah, it's the fact that despite that the universe got back in, put back into place and that is what they said at the end of the last series there, despite everything's right. got put back into place, that they've still all got, for some odd reason, because Amy remembered the Doctor back, everything fell back into place, so Rory remembers being an Auton for over 2,000, well, 2,000 years uh, waiting for Amy. So, yeah. And, uh, oh yes, Arthur Darville, um, even though he wasn't much in it, the bits that he did do, he was fantastic. Um, he's sort of the, um, I don't know, slight bit of, sort of, sort of, I don't know, not Rose, but more of a Martha feeling getting on there, as Martha was, sort of this sort of thing. Um, but this time it's not fixated on Doctor, but Amy. Uh, but he was brilliant the whole time, and I love these little... Um, well, he's more of a Harry Sullivan one, isn't he? He's not. He's not a combatant. He's more, you know. No, I mean compared. I mean, not, not to slight Harry, because love Harry. Um, it's, it's the fact that he's, for me, uh, compared to Harry, he's definitely more intelligent, and uh, he works things. You know, he's. It's the point where Doctor saying something. He says, "I. We know. We know. We know." And he, he just keeps repeating the point, and he's, he's, he's already. He's actually catching up with the Doctor on a lot of things if not steps ahead but at least catching up with him. The, the Harry comparison is interesting because they're both in the medical professions. <laughs> That's just like um, um, Harry's a doctor Rory's just a nurse. Well it's yeah, true but they both did, In the sort of role that they played though they weren't they weren't a Stephen character or even Ian at some point where they're prepared to fight their ground. Well, I, yeah, I think he, he reminds me of Ian in that respect where when he's cornered or when Amy's threatening, he'll he'll pick up a broom or he'll, he'll whack someone if need be. But you it's know. nice to have a male companion, isn't it, Lewis? Uh, 
as opposed to this string of female ones on their own. Well, it's good to have uh, you know more than just one companion in the TARDIS yeah, as well, yeah. because I, what they're doing here is what I enjoy is that they have uh, interactions between you know companion and companion. You know, in this case, it's it's husband and wife. Now it's it's Rory and, and Amy. Where when you just have one companion, it's just the the dialogue and, and the storytelling is moved forward only by the companion and the Doctor. And that's you know maybe you'll pick up someone for an episode, but or two perhaps like with Captain Jack. But then that's it. So I, I like having uh, someone that's you know there for our, a a season or two that um, can grow with, with the other companions, you know, and, and the characters. And I think he has grown. I don't, you know, he's not the same exact character that we first saw in the first series. Well, in the last series. Yeah. I mean, he's very much Rory, but I feel he's not as wet. Uh, he's still slightly insecure, which gets resolved towards the end. Yeah. I call him reservations. His sort of thing. He's in, his insecurities because, um, he knows that the Doctor and Amy have this past, whether it's a past that's been written or not, depending on points of view. He's, he's well, a good character. Mm-hmm. Well, that was the lovely scene, wasn't it, where uh, the River Song is trying to break into the craft and she's telling him why she's so sad. I mean, can you imagine it? And Rory facing the camera, you know, he's acting his heart out there. And yes, I can, because that's where he sees his dilemma with Amy and the Doctor, you know, uh, so that was, there was some lovely, actually, Mm -hmm. to say it was such a fast-paced thing, there were the odd, you know, slower, quiet moments, and some of those were the nicely observed ones, so we always said that Russell T. Davis did dialogue well, uh, and uh, Stephen Moffat's the one that comes up with the the mind-bending, timey-wimey stuff, but uh, I think um, he was trying to show there that he could deal with dialogue uh, pretty well, and yeah, of course uh, we have the Doctor's comic moments as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the thing is then bringing in River now, uh, if you don't mind, um, is the fact that in both episodes uh, River was talking about uh, last uh, last times as well, because in in the possible astronaut she knows that there'll be a time where she meets the Doctor and he won't recognise her and it'll probably kill her, which was like, you had to grin at that sort of sentence because you, you know what's going on. But then you've got, obviously, at the other end of the um, episode uh, scale where you've got the day of the moon right at the end, uh, you have their their first kiss, which is for her her last kiss, but for him, his first kiss. And then she realises that it's basically at that point that she's basically wandering towards the end of things. Well, it's it's definitely interesting the way they're going to have to develop her character because as time goes on, as we see more of her, she needs to be uh, her character needs to be getting younger, not not just physically, but you know emotionally and 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 her knowledge as well. But so you know, she's as we see her now, she doesn't have knowledge of the adventures that we've already seen of her because it takes place in her future and and in the Doctor's an hour past. So as you know, the next time we see her, she needs to know less. Of about, you know, Doctor and Amy and everyone, you know, it's going to be interesting how they do that. Well, she looks a little more limber today uh, <laughs> in that, that shooting scene, so... Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, just bringing a couple of guys from the chat here, I voted for Saxon brought in there. Rory's memory of being a Roman is a result of a paradox, and he's quite right at that point there. It's a paradox that didn't happen. But uh, Sonic, Scar- uh, Sonic 
am, or however it's supposed to pronounce that. Um, unless you throw some dream dust, but uh, the insecurity is what makes him charming. He's on about, uh, or he's on about Rory, and uh, love the bit. This this is also there's a ton of lines, one-liners all over the place. Typical Moffat, absolutely brilliant for the one-liners, because it's uh, there were. The, the code names for the, each of them. It's the legs, the nose, and Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love the Mrs. Robinson bits, though, that the fact that, he, that the doctor himself is way of 900 years old, so quite like that. But, um, well, it's yeah. a bit like our nicknames Trap One, How, and Wine. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Lewis always wanted to be Trap One, Trap One to Greyhound. <laughs> That's right. Is he still in that cupboard of yours, by the way, Ian? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yes, he is. <laughs> uh, some little nitpicks, though, in uh, Day of the Moon is uh, the cell that they imprison the doctor in, uh, which is this, you know, this black... So it reminds me of the Pandorica box, actually, but this is well beyond 1969 American or Earth technology at all. So I don't know how that really uh, came about. But then again, this is Area 51, so maybe there's some alien tech involved here. That's I was about to say that. Area 51, uh, they're right in the middle of Area 51. The doctor gives you a precise description of what it is. And I'm going to, I'm going to need at least another three or four viewings of that before I actually got exactly de- all the details down there uh so um you know and, and the yeah, other yeah, it's, it's the, the other nick pick would be um the hologram of you know of the of the silence where it has the same effect it it seems it they don't a picture I, of an angel is it yeah angel? well again a, a little silly silence silly silent si- <laughs> silly silent science there <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's tongue twister. Yes, but uh, it, it's not too bad. It doesn't. It, it didn't spoil the episode for the enjoyment of, of the two stories. And uh, I, again, I really did enjoy overall um, both of these very, very much. So, and um, I, I think it really captures a lot of excitement. It captures the the grandiose um, vistas that they shot in Utah, and that comes across very well. It's very, you know, it, it, it's. Definitely cinematic, and uh, I don't seem. I hope I'm not sounding like a broken record there. But uh, also, the orphanage uh, is incredibly moody, and uh, they, you know, they they deliberately did that haunted house effect. But I think they they achieved it very well. I think um, there's lots of questions still remaining here. Um, Everything about the little girl, including uh, going back to the orphanage. uh, There's the 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 scene there where Amy sees uh, a face in the door. And with someone with an eye patch on, and who is she? And she, didn't she have red hair? So I don't know. It just seems. I guess again, we'll have to wait and see what that's all about because Moffat doesn't, you know, add things indiscriminately without having uh, a future purpose for. Well, I don't think we should say anything too much about that because if you if you look on the ISTV, you might be able to find out more information about that character. But I, I think that was a plan for some future payoff. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I'm playing. That's what I'm implying. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you know me and Graham, we can talk forever. But uh, All right, you well, have got people in the room, and you have got clips. Uh, yeah. So I'm let's not let's to play. Tell you how to run the show. But <laughs> yeah, just, just before we go Dave is the whip. The last point. 
the one last point there is uh, I like the last the sort of the final lines where uh, Cadden's talking to uh, Nixon and um, about uh, being married because uh, this was got mentioned as oh the gay agenda's back uh, no it's equality yes because it's not you know, it's not just a, a, a gay relationship it's a mixed race relationship on top of all that so it's for me it's great it's a, it's the thing about equality out there. Oh, fantastic! And just to show, in 1969, how how far removed uh, from now uh, the world is. You know, um, yeah, I think it was there. making Not a point. Far back in time, but in attitudes as well. You know, I think it was making a point of that error as well, and and um, and even then, uh, well, and, and I'm sure even. Unfortunately, even till today, this um, interracial marriages still uh, will get some shunned looks, and you know it, it's still an issue for some people. Unfortunately, so it's um, people should just—I mean, well, I'm not going to get into political stuff here, but uh, but again, I think it was just a commentary of the time, and um, I, I think it, it did that very well. I think also I think it was there for a little light. I mean, although it's a big subject, and you can see well, Nixon's words, face. Yeah, I think it was light it, relief. Wasn't it, it, from when you saw the, the expression heavy. on Nixon's face, <laughs> that was. I think that's what they were getting at <laughs> when he said, "I think the moon is far enough." And then, if if you look at what Nixon's expression is, it's sort of like <laughs> it's it's there for humor. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, we'll play another clip and we're going to be taking callers. So, again, if you're listening and if you want to join in on us, uh, chime in and give us your thoughts. The number here is 724-444-7444. And again, that's only while we're doing the live show. If you call that number, you know, while you listen to this a couple of days from now when it's in the podcast feed. We won't be here, but if you call well, now, <laughs> you'll get silence. Silence will fall when you call. So, uh, but if you call now, and uh, once you call, you'll know you'll need to know our call ID number. That's two three three five eight. So, uh, call now. Put yourself in the queue. Uh, the best thing probably is to uh, sign up with TalkShoe if you're not already here, and uh, you know you can actually uh, join in the chat session, and we'll see you in the queue as well. Sorry, what? The doctor numbered the envelopes. You got three, I was two, Mr. Delaware was four. So? So, where's one? Who did the doctor trust the most? Even by your standards, this is cold. Dr. Riversall, trouble have you got for me this time? Okay. I'm assuming that's for something I haven't done yet. Explain it again. The doctor we saw on the beach is a future version. He's still going to die. We have to tell him. We've told him all we can. I'm being extremely clever up here, and there's no one to stand around looking impressed. What's the point in having you all? A mysterious summons. You think I'm just going to go? Trust me. Swear to me on something that matters. Wish fingers and custard. Okay, since I don't know what I'm getting into this time, for once I'm being discreet, putting the engines on silent. Did you do something? No, just watching. Whoa, 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 you lot, wait a moment. Let's take it slow. Hello? This is President Nixon. Who's calling? Jefferson Adams Hamilton. Jefferson, listen to me. Surely this is something the Bureau could handle, sir. How do I know the Bureau isn't involved? I can't trust anyone. 
Oh. Hello. Bad moment. Is that box? It's a police box. Can't you read? I'm your new undercover agent on loan from Scotland Yard. Codename the Doctor. These are my top operatives: the legs, the nose, and Mrs. Robinson. I hate you. No, you don't. I'm going to need a SWAT team ready to mobilise. Street level maps covering all of Florida. A pot of coffee, twelve jammy dodgers, and a fez. Get him his maps. All right, we're going to take callers now, and we're going to start with, uh, as always, we're going to give preference to Dr. Hupachak supporting subscribers. And as always, uh, we can only do this live show over the net in part with uh, support of Pachak supporting subscribers. And uh, we are tremendously grateful for uh, the support that you have given us. And unfortunately, we can't continue with the level that we're at now without your help. So uh, again, um, and unfortunately, we had to cut back on some of the stuff that we do since we just don't have the resources that we would like uh you can help by becoming a pachak supporting subscriber if you haven't already and now more than ever we need your support so if you go to pachak.net or arttrap.com you'll see on the top there a banner there and that you can learn more about becoming a pachak supporting subscriber not only will you get preference in the queue when we do live shows but you'll get dr pachak extra episodes and other advantages when um, available you know discounts to shows that we do or uh, sometimes we'll have a random uh, giveaway to a random supporter of um something that comes our way so again a big thank you for all our supporters and um we do appreciate it so i think in the queue right now we have a mystery presenter if i'm not mistaken is um is one of our supporters so we'll get him on hello are you there um yep hello lewis hi how are you doing and great hiya hi um, one thing I have to say, um, with this, uh, I think uh, since Doctor Who came back in 2005, this has been the first time this just was a two-part story, uh, going back to the other series. What, say that again. This is what about the two-part yeah, story? The, uh, to, to start with a two-part story. Oh, oh that started yeah. with a two-part story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I, I, I I believe so. Yeah, yeah. That's well, an interesting I've been point. Thinking back on the stories, no, it's just all a single part. Um, also, I found the twists and turns in this quite good, especially at the start mm-hmm. after Doctor got shot, wondering how it's going to end up, like bringing him, how he's going to end up coming back. In the next episode. Oh. You're talking about the going from the impossible uh, astronaut, almost said it, uh, yeah. <laughs> to to our day of the moon. Yeah, it, you know, I you know I try to stay away from spoilers as much as possible. So uh, you know, I really didn't want to know exactly where it was going to go, and um, and I'm, I'm glad I kept that slate clean. As, as much as I could. So, uh, yeah, I, I was expecting it to pick up really right after the cliffhanger and, uh, you know, all of a sudden we're three months ahead. And, uh, you know, sometimes when when 
TV episodes do this when uh, or, or movies, whatever. It, it sometimes it seems a little gimmicky, you know, when they jump around, you know, three months and six months, whatever. But I think here it worked very well. It just um, and it, especially now that um, dealing with forgetting and all that, you know, the, with the silence and um, I, I think it just it, it just worked well. And those gaps are are fine. I was actually thinking more um, at the start of the impossible astronaut where the future doctor gets killed. Yeah. And I'm just wondering how they was actually brought him back until he gets to the part in the restaurant where the younger self comes out. Mm-hmm. And, and that's still unresolved, you know, as far as, you know, that goes. We, you know, yeah. we, we still have the whole series, this 20, and, and it may not be resolved until the end of this 2011 series, which will be, you know, later on in this year since it's being broken up into two parts. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, the, especially I have to say, um, also found the end of the Day of the Moon when you see the girl. Mm-hmm. So he, like, you realize she's actually has some time loss DNA in her. Yeah, well, that, that's this is the big mystery here, and it's. I, yeah. I thought it was a little out of character for the doctor not to explore that at the end of this episode. You know, where he said we can go off and you know we can find out more about this girl or have an adventure. I, I, I you know, I feel like I'm, uh, I'm in the mood for an adventure. I'm paraphrasing here, you know. So it just seemed a little. Maybe the doctor's uh, a bit fearful of what he might find out, or he seems to be avoiding it slightly. I think. Yeah, maybe the might have explored later in the series. Oh, yeah, definitely they will. I mean, but yeah. it just seemed, um, you know, well, obviously they want to keep this for later, so they, they need to do something to move the characters into another story. So, uh, you know, that's yeah. the, you know, what they wrote into the dialogue to explain why they're not investigating the girl. Yeah. Uh, uh, point there that because the, um, the various... Um, the actual standing uh, of the, or listing for the actual stories going out wasn't actually 100% locked down until very late. Um, it's, this will also help with whatever's coming next. So you, you don't have to ex- expect an episode that's directly involved with what's just happened to come next. Because uh, the fact that they've had some rejuggling that uh, the Doctor's wife went from being the third story to the fourth story and uh, stories that were supposed to be up to the sixth uh, I think sixth in this in this part is actually being put back into the next into the second half of the of the year. So, it's so that's a bit of, uh, interesting. Though I mean, if you say that, then because you know, I'm I'm assuming that part of the story arc is going to continue, you know, being sprinkled into the other episodes. So, but if they're moving things around, it's interesting. Maybe maybe those episodes are isolated episodes that have nothing to do with um that won't have any you know it, unlike the last series where the crack kept on reappearing i don't know whether or not we're going to be seeing yeah. a consistent thing with the girl reappearing or whatever but the, those the, those cracks appearing were time sensitive in a way they were sort of tangential or what mm-hmm. the word is yeah they, they, they occurred but they weren't they didn't have to be in any, any order sequence yeah yeah well it could be very well it could be very well the case with the girl. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> what was actually your, your favourite part of the, the two stories? Or um, actually, I'm not sure. It's hard to say which this was my favourite part. 
What about the surprise ending? What, what about the surprise ending with the girl? Uh, yeah, that was, yeah, that was quite good, but. So overall, you say that you would enjoy you had enjoyed both this, these uh, two parts. Um, yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you once again, and as always, thank you for your support. And um, yeah, did you have yeah. any other things you want to mention about them? Um, no, not that I can think of. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, well, thanks again, and we'll, I would like to thank you by name, but we can only thank you by. Um, <laughs> By your 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 the mystery presenter. So uh, thank you, mysterious presenter. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, yeah. See. One day we'll find out who he and River Song are. <laughs> That's right. We'll, we'll probably find out about River Song before we find out about him. Though it's interesting. Um, it seems to be uh, the direction they're going with River Song seems to be more on the romantic. Um, you know, slant as we're saying, you know, so um, maybe, um, you know, well, I, I don't, I don't want to start speculation about future episodes, so we'll contain everything just to uh, day of the moon yeah. and the impossible astronauts. So um, move along. Yes. <laughs> move along. Move along. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Wrong film. Yeah. But we, we do have a few more clips to go through. So uh, let's, um, if I can, I'm going to skip ahead and since um, to one from Day of the Moon. Suspect directly ahead. Coming to you now. Canton. It was Pond. We found Amy Pond. She had strange markings on her arm. I see you. Stop It's over. They're here, Canton. They're everywhere. I know. America's being invaded. America is occupied. There's no way out this time. There's always a way out. Bricks, what are they made of? Where is she? She ran off the 50th floor. I'd say zero balance dwarf star alloy. The densest material in the universe. Nothing gets through that. You're building me the perfect prison. And it still won't be enough. What are you waiting for? I'm waiting for you to run. It'd look better if I shot you while you're running. And again, looks at everything. Nothing can penetrate these walls. No sound. You're literally cut off from the rest of the universe. So I guess they can't hear us, right? Cooper Canton, door sealed. You bet. Things could really do with air holes. Never had a complaint before. Isn't it going to look odd that you're staying in here with us? Ah, but not alarming. They know there's no way out of this place. Exactly. Whatever they might think we're doing in here, they know we're not going anywhere. Shall we? What about Doctor Sam? She dove up a rooftop. Don't worry, she does that. Amy, Rory, open all the doors to the swimming pool. Everywhere. Not just a landing party, an occupying force, and they have been here a very, very long time. But nobody knows that, because no one can remember them. So what are they up to? No idea, but the good news is... We've got a secret weapon. Apollo 11's your secret weapon? No! 
now it's not Apollo 11, that would be silly. It's Neil Armstrong's foot. And uh, once again, Dave, thank you so much for compiling these clips. It, I really appreciate it. So yes. that's pretty interesting uh, as far as uh, opening up the doors to the pool and how they captured River from falling there. Nice effect there. Though it makes you wonder if you can, um, you know, if they can, if the TARDIS doors can be, you know, the way they can move around rooms and delete rooms, you know, they they eject, they can eject TARDIS rooms as well. Uh, whether or not, you know, you can manipulate how the doors, what the doors open into. So maybe uh, you can, uh, yeah. you know, do some, uh, you know, change the settings of the doors so that they open it up into the pool. TARDIS reconfigurates itself so you land in a different part of itself. Yeah. And that that scene with the TARDIS on the building side, I just couldn't help but think of Batman and the 1960s Batman with Adam West and um, Burt Ward climbing up the building there. Or, or even the, the later um, 1978 Superman movie. Um, you know, <laughs> just good stuff there. All right, well, let's get back to the uh, to the queue there, and uh, I believe this is um, Russell is up next. Are you there, Russell? Are you rambling? Hi, Lewis. How's it going? Excuse my voice today. I got a bit of a cold. I'm still recovering. Oh, I hope you uh, feel better soon. Yeah, I got a you know fifth anniversary coming up. I don't want to sound like I'm sick, so I'm really hoping it'll be better by next week. Oh, very good. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. It's been mm-hmm. been been a, a fun five years as you can attest to doing a podcast for a long time yes so and that's uh yeah rambling with russell right that's right so what did you think of live show an official spin-off of pod shock i say because james helped me get the name so uh, unofficial spin off. james and, and james I look out for his for his live Podshock on Torchu 18411. Yeah, so we're going to do another live show next weekend. Oh, very we good. So your thoughts on I, I, the impossible astronaut and Day of the Moon? I thought it was an interesting, slightly confusing way to open up uh, a series this year. Because they just threw everything at you. And I don't know if you caught this, Lewis. The, when, they, when, they, when they aired it here on uh, the other side of the pond, they had this, the um, I'm Amy Pond and I travel with the doctor intro. I heard about this. I, I, I didn't see this. Unfortunately, I'm not, my carrier, my television carrier doesn't carry BBC America, so I, I, I didn't see that clip, but I heard about it. Yeah, it aired on space here, and I caught it just to see. And, and they, they aired this, and I thought, what is this, the Amy and the doctor show? Why do we need that little clip? I so is she, really strange. is she talking, I mean, to the audience in it? Yeah, it's, it's a voiceover with stuff in the background saying, I'm Amy and I'm at the doctor, my wife's been crazy and we've, we've been running ever since. So it's a voiceover over the um, the scenes that were in you know, the it, episode? It's like, it's like the opener, then this the little voiceover, the, um, and then the opening credit. Elizabeth credits. Sladen thing. They've got Elizabeth Sladen at the end, I think. Yeah. <laughs> But 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 the way they the way they positioned it, it's it's the initial uh, cold open, then the Amy voiceover, and then and then the opening credit, opening that sequence, opening title sequence. Because I'm really thinking great. back to um, 
the, the second episode last series, um, uh, and I'm having a brain fart now as far as the episode title goes, but didn't she kind of recap um, a bit there in the beginning when she's floating outside the TARDIS? Possibly. That, that was part of the actual story, yeah. though, I think. That was on all versions. Possibly. I just found it a really strange little thing to put in there. So this is probably something they tacked on, thinking, well, you know, the, the, just to since they they've, maybe they're assuming they're getting a, a lot, which they did. They got a, probably a lot of new viewers since their ratings were so high that maybe the, the, sort of explaining, like giving a little catch up or a little recap to uh, new viewers just tuning in on you know what's and going apparently on. Apparently, it was on the Australian version as well, so it's not just a. Okay, over. well, I just. Found it funny. It kind of took away. It almost made it seem like it was the Amy show instead of Doctor Who. <laughs> so I, I I didn't see it in in part two. So for some reason they wanted to start off the season that way. Whether well, it reappears, it's going to be sure. interesting when it comes to discs. You know, when it comes to Blu-ray and DVD, yeah. whether or not it's going to be included. I I mean, I haven't seen it, but from what you're saying, I, I hope not. I don't know. No, yeah, I found it very disturbing uh, as a longtime fan of the show. Uh, a lot of little things bother me. I found it weird. You know, the the markings I guess they were using to say saw them seem to appear and reappear magically on their skin mm-hmm. at some points of the show. And I thought that really wasn't explained. Uh, they just appear on their face, and the next shot they're gone, and they appear, and then they're gone again. Well, they don't remember washing their face. Yeah, but are, so are we? Are we seeing? The, it just seemed they're kind of magical. Yeah, you know weird sort of way and I, I thought the creepiness in both episodes were good that that the old that children's place very creepy very yeah. arkham asylum very the creepy stuff was done really well i thought so too yeah so, yeah and 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 i i think now and and this is definitely i, I found that just 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 a, a note on that this is definitely especially day of the moon whatever is uh one of those episodes that you really need to watch with the lights off yeah, de- yeah, for sure. I just did a great thing with the lightning and everything. Absolutely. And and I, I thought it was the the we still they still planted that little seed that does Amy really like Rory more than the doctor? I still don't think she's made up her mind. Well, they definitely played with that, you know, during the, especially okay. Day of the Moon. They, they were playing. Yeah, they were like know. two versions, like whether she's pregnant or not pregnant. Was she talking about the Doctor? Was she talking about Rory? And and when yeah. I was watching it the first time, it seemed like it was more leaning towards the Doctor. And then watching it the second time, it seemed more clearer that it was towards um, Rory. Yeah. The universe yeah. splits every time you make a decision. So so I I still think she's got the hearts of the Doc, and I don't know if... I still think that that's going to play out through the season. I mean, well, I, I think they're deliberately planting seeds about that, and this whole, you know, and I don't want to get into speculation about future episodes. So, oh, but, I know, but but they're, they're they're clearly indicating that no, she's maybe not as devoted to him as you might think she should be devoted to him. Really, kind of, or she's just playing mm-hmm. it up. The the pool thing was a funny gag, you know. 
I wonder if we'll ever see the pool well, uh, later on this season. What I, what I liked was that they had Alex Kingston, you know, with a towel, drying herself off immediately afterwards. And even when she steps out of the TARDIS after that, she still, she still, you can see that she's still kind of moist and she still has a towel in her hand. So I'm glad they didn't just like he, she wasn't just miraculously dry in the next scene that you saw her, you know, getting back to like yeah. the markings. So the, 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 there's some continuity there that that is consistent. But as far as those markings go. I don't know. I mean, it could be just lapse in time that we're not seeing. Like, like Amy was there in that um, console room-like um, ship where she was there for days, but she only remembers there, you know, being there, you know, just now, whatever. So, you, yeah, we don't know yeah. about the passage of time and, and how they're manipulating us, the audience, as well. Yeah, it, it's almost like they're playing the they're playing a mind trick with the audience, really, because that's kind of timey wimey. There and 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 they never really went over how they faked shooting them, either. They never. I'm sorry. Say that again. Well, they they, they never really explained how the how the the agent faked shooting both of them, putting them in box. Oh, oh yeah. Well, I was thinking oh, that yeah. too. I'm assuming yeah. that, that, that you know obviously that uh, it was just um, oh. uh, what's his face. Well, I suppose it- yeah, I suppose if they have training exercises, they'll have access to blank bullets or something. But. Well, uh, yeah, I'm but assuming... They had other agents around them... Well, I'm assuming they didn't shoot. I, I'm assuming it was just Delaware that, um, you know, Canton Delaware the third yeah. that, that yeah. did the shooting, and he was using blanks, and, you know, and they were already prepped to do what they, you know, to, to fake their deaths or whatever, but, you know... I mean, there, there's some artistic yeah. leeway here because obviously they yeah, still had to be breathing. Uh, yeah, a little bit of art. They put them in body bags, and whoever put them in the body bags would have to realize they were still breathing at the time or whatever, so whatever. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's one of the... You can't get too, you know... Uh, you no, know. it's just... I, I think it, it was done, obviously, for dramatic effect, obviously, to start the episode really big, but... I mean, even the body bags seemed a little lighter when they were dragging them in. They didn't it didn't seem like they had a full body weight, you know, in whatever they put in those body bags to simulate a body there. It didn't seem like they were if the full weight of a human body there. It seemed a little light, but whatever. Are you inferring Amy's put on a couple of pounds? <laughs> Not that I saw. <laughs> Not that I could see. Yeah. Well, yeah. Overall, I think it's definitely a, the first two episodes have set a lot up for the the end of the. For this series, whether or not we'll get all the answers by episode thirteen, I I don't know. You know, we have a possible Time Lord child lying around that, who knows what's going to do with her. So, it's just a lot of things they've thrown out of the gate to start. Well, yeah, there's a lot of mystery there, and, and, and you know, why is she dying? She's outside of that suit, and somehow that suit was keeping her alive. And um, yeah, so there's lots of uh, you know, yeah, so lots of questions. Did the bullet truly miss her? Or did it hit her? And, and well, I'm it, assuming it, it, that suit protected her because they were, yeah, she was shot at, outside the suit. She was dying. Yeah, yeah. She was yeah. shot in the beginning. If that's we're, we, we can we have to assume it's the same person that was that what we saw in the beginning of the Impossible Astronaut when the astronaut comes out of the water. I have to say that whole you know shooting on location there and having the astronaut come out of the lake, the lake like that. And at this time, it was just a mysterious astronaut. We don't know anything about it. It was a nice touch. It, it reminded me a bit of two. 2001 in space obviously it had that similar feel to it uh yeah i had your old school you know your circa 1960s space suit so yeah but it, i mean just the style wise it was just very much uh, reminded me of of the storytelling technique of you know 2001 where things aren't 
all explained and you sort of have to imagine what's going on and you know and piece it together yeah well let's just let's just hope not too much is unresolved i i i you know i had enough unresolved stuff with lost to last me a lifetime well i have it on another show i think I think not everything will be answered, even at the end of the series. I think there still might be some lingering questions, and uh, but I, I think probably the bigger questions will be addressed. But I, maybe some of the, you know, it's good to have some stuff to for future exploration. So um, not everything yeah, needs I to mean, be answered. It's definitely evident that a lot he did last series will come into play this series, for sure. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So overall, and we didn't ask uh, Mystery Presenter, but I'll, I'll ask you, who um, said, obviously he enjoyed it, but uh, how many TARDIS groans would you give these, these two as a whole? Since it's really on, I'm only going to give it a three and a half out of five. Really? Yeah, probably because I'm hoping better is to come. Okay. And especially next week being a seafaring tale, which I'm a sucker for any kind of pirate. Well, I, I know Dave and Graham and myself haven't given out TARDIS groans, but uh, um, if I'll, I'll chime in right now, I think as a whole, I'll probably give both of these. Um, and, and again, I'm rating them both as one story. Um, yeah. I, I probably give it five, five TARDIS groans. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, there, there's, there's some weak parts to it, and um, but yeah. not enough to um, really ruin it for me. I just I've I've and the, since it came back I've I've I other stores deserved deserved a five more than this one. Okay, fair enough. All right, Russell, thank you. Okay. Cheers. Right. Cheers. 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 No. Right. Uh, in the meantime, there's a bit from the chat here. It's been going on. Um, Cyborg's been putting in his uh, ten, 10 pence and a bit more in. He's got to find him again where he's in the chat. Um, raising questions, uh, a statement, first of all, coupling in the TARDIS, referring to uh, Amy and Rory. And um, the reference to the little girl, it, it took her approximately six months to finish dying. And how did she get to New York? And these are all questions, obviously, we're going to have open for quite a long time we actually find out who she is and um, what she pertains to actually the Doctor, Doctor Stroke Doctor Who universe uh, at, this, at this point. Um, carry on, this? Yeah, I, I'm I'm a bit distracted on it because the the Talk Shoe Live application seems to uh, has frozen on me. I, I, I that's kind of normal. Well, the thing is, I, I can't do anything as far as uh, bringing... Oh, well, I've just put text in. It's working for me. The, the pro client. Yeah, the pro seems to, has, seems to have... I'm waiting for... I'm hoping it's going to unfreeze because I won't be able to get any new people. Um, I know uh, Darth was uh, in the queue there. I'm not sure if there's anyone else. And Technical difficulties have occurred with the hosts of this podcast. Please do not adjust your broadband connection. Thank you. Amy? I think we found the place she was taken from. How do you know? Because those things have been here, but the whole place is deserted. There's just one guy here, and I think he's lost it. I can see them, but I think they're asleep. Get out. Just get out. Now, one more time, sir. 
How the hell did you get into the command module? I told you, I'm on a top secret mission for the president. This man here, codenamed the doctor, is doing some work for me personally. Cut him a little slack. Thank you. Bye-bye. Carry on, gentlemen. This place, it's been closed for years. What are you even doing? Oh, the child. She must be cared for. It's important. How can that be me? Who are you? I don't understand, so just tell me who you are. Please, tell me, because I don't understand. Help me. Just some questions. Yes, I see. Dr. Renfrew. Who was that? Who was who? What are you? You can tell me. Because I won't remember. You invaded us. You're everywhere. Are you armed? This world is ours. We have no need of weapons. Yeah. Welcome to America. Amen! You have to tape everything that happens in this office. Every word. Or you won't know if you're under the influence. Doctor, you have to give me more than this. What were you doing to Apollo 11? Think. Clever think. Now, no more questions. You have to trust me. All right. Well, I think we got... That technical uh, problem worked out here. I, what I did, uh, I had to force quit TalkShoe Live Pro 2.0 and restart it, and um seems to be working okay for the time being there, but it um, had completely frozen up, so I wasn't able to um, to do anything as far as controlling the show. All right, well, we're going to... We can get data on. Yes, I should remind everyone that uh, you can call our number 724 724- Four 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 seven four four four, and that's a U.S. number. And call during the live show. And when you call, use the call ID two three three five eight. And um, and and before we get back to our our callers, I want to remind everyone that uh, the show is uh, we have an affiliate sponsor for the show, which is Audible dot com, which is a premier provider of digital audiobooks. They have over eighty five thousand titles to choose from, and they cover everything from business, romance, comedy, science fiction, fantasy, well, you kind of name it, they have it covered. And their Audible uh, titles are compatible with iPhones, Kindles, Androids, and over 500 devices for your listening pleasure anytime, anywhere, just like a podcast. And for listeners of Dr. Upachak, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 14-day trial, so you have a chance to check them out. And you can download your free audiobook today by going to audibletrial.com slash Podshock. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash Podshock to get your free audiobook. And the Doctor Who community uh, this past couple months have, um, we've seen some highs and lows. Obviously, we have the, the new series as a high, but we also uh, saw the loss of Nicholas Courtney. And just recently last week, the unexpected terrible loss of, um, well, both of them are terrible losses, but uh, completely unexpected to most fans was the loss of Elizabeth Sladen. And, um, so to that effect, we usually make a recommendation 
on a uh, possible free audio book that you would like to download. And one of the classics that both these two people worked on, which uh, Elizabeth Sladen and Nicholas Courtney, is a audio from BBC called Doctor Who at the BBC, the, a time-traveling journey through the BBC archives. It's by Michael Stevens. And as I said, it's narrated by Elizabeth Sladen and Nicholas Courtney. And this is just a, a little sampling of it here. I'm Elizabeth Sladen, and in Doctor Who, I play the intrepid Time Lord's companion, Sarah Jane Smith. I'm here to invite you on a journey by way of the time-traveling powers of the BBC Radio Archive. A lot safer and more comfortable than by TARDIS, believe me. We'll be rediscovering a wealth of broadcasting gems long forgotten since their original transmission, some of which will come as a surprise to even the most avid fan. To begin our journey, another very good friend of the Doctor's presents a history of the television series we have all come to know and adore in 30 years. First broadcast on BBC Radio 2 on the 20th of November, 1993. News has just come in that President Kennedy has been shot. There's no news yet of his condition. The world was shocked to hear of the assassination of President Kennedy. Most people can remember where they were and what they were doing when they heard the news. Perhaps they were watching the television and hearing this for the very first time. The theme tune that has for the last three decades introduced the weekly adventures of a most remarkable time traveler, Doctor Who. Hello, I'm Nicholas Courtney. If you're a Doctor Who fan, you'll probably remember me as one of the Doctor's closest allies, Brigadier Alastair Gordon Lethbridge-Stewart. Having had the privilege to work with the Doctor on numerous occasions, I hope that I'm the best qualified to give you the complete story behind the world's longest-running science fiction television series and the reasons why it's lasted so long. Now, 30 years is a lot of time to cover in just 60 minutes, so... Let's journey back to a fog-shrouded London. To be precise, Saturday, November 23rd, 1963. Inside a small scrap merchant in Totters Lane, two young schoolteachers, Ian Chesterton and Barbara Wright, are anxiously searching for one of their pupils, Susan Foreman, little realising that they're about to embark on a journey into the unknown. It's a police box. What's <laughs> it doing here? Well, these things are usually on the street. I it. Alive. When a white-haired, elderly gentleman in Edwardian clothes arrives on the scene, Ian and Barbara force their way into the police box and make a startling discovery. You don't deserve any explanations. You pushed your way in here, uninvited and unwelcome. I think you ought to It's an illusion. It must be. Illusions, indeed. You say you can't fit an enormous building into one of your smaller sitting rooms? No. But you've discovered television, haven't you? Yes. Then by showing an enormous building on your television screen, you can do what seemed impossible, couldn't you? At the end of the first episode, the doctor sets the control... All right, well, that's just a little sampling of it. It's really interesting. I really recommend it. Uh, give it a listen to if you haven't um, heard it yet, and it's available through Audible. It's, it has uh, lots of, um, not just, um, you know, they have lots of interviews with Terry Nation, John Pertwee, Tom Baker, Mary Tam, Douglas Adams. They're, they're all included in, in this um in this um, narrative of the BBC archives, uh, you know, time traveling through, it's, it's, 
it's called Doctor Who at the BBC, a time traveling journey through the BBC archives. And uh, once again, you can get that. Uh, you can make that your free selection or any selection that you like to download your free audiobook. Simply go to audibletrial.com slash podchock to get your free audiobook. All right, and now if you want to call our show and give your... It's it's interesting hearing some of those uh, early clips there from the Unearthly Child and all that, you know, just, you know, after, on the on the cusp of, um, on the heels of uh, the the latest Doctor Who, and he's still explaining, well, now it's it's handed off to Roy to explain why the TARDIS is uh, bigger on the inside. But uh, it's interesting, and, and if you're new to Doctor Who and uh, you haven't seen the original episodes uh, or the William Hartnett episodes it's interesting to uh, to see how it all began and also that this story takes place that we're reviewing right now in 1969 and you go back to 1963 when Doctor Who started so there's a little parallel there as well but to call us at number is 724-444-744 and the caller ID number is 23358 and uh, next up is uh, Darth Skeptical Hello, Doss. Hello, good sir. How are you? How are you? It's good to hear you again. I am delightfully well. Good to hear you, sir. You know, what a difference a year makes, because this time last year we had The Beast Below. The Beast Below. Thank you. That was the title I was trying to think of. (laughs) Yes. It's funny that you kind of liked that episode, and yet you forgot the title, whereas I hated it, and it is seared in my memory. (laughs) And it's well, the, remarkable. The titles that I, I don't really enjoy are seared in my memory as well, unfortunately. So. <laughs> uh, but it's remarkable that here we are a year later. We're on the second episode, just like we were last time. And same writer. And yet, what a marvelous episode. Indeed, what a marvelous story these, these last two episodes have been. Um, I was a little worried after part one, I suppose, in that the the narrative had a lot of uh, dangling tendons, and I didn't mm-hmm. know that any of it was going to necessarily... ...to part two, yet more questions were heaped on, but somehow I regained my faith in Moffat that I had lost, really, at the end of last series, and am starting to believe, since we had that speech sort of that uh, conversation between Roy and the doctor about whether Roy remembers anything from last series from being a Roman Mm -hmm. soldier I I started to believe that in fact Moffat isn't done with series 5 that what we Mm -hmm. had at the end is not necessarily everything there is on the crack issue Mm -hmm. on the Pandorica issue and that the silence is not just part two of that story, but it's more intimately a part of the whole deal. That mm-hmm. is, that the silence is responsible, perhaps, for the Pandorica itself, for building the Pandorica, that we're going to um, just get more answers. And I think it's remarkable that he manages... I don't know why I feel that way. I just feel like we're embarked upon now a much bigger story than what we got last time. And it feels like maybe Moffat really will turn the corner. Maybe he really will bring all of these chickens uh, to roost by the end of this series. 
And I'm, I, I just am loving the questions that are being asked. They're far more interesting than what we got, you know, this time last year. Um, and they're far more interesting even than the questions that were left unanswered at the end of the Big Bang. Um, you know, who is this girl who has regenerated in front of us or who certainly has got at least halfway through regeneration? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just what a fabulous ending that is. Um, who... And what is going on with Amy's pregnancy? And by that, I mean, of course, not just is she pregnant, but by whom yeah. is she pregnant? Mm-hmm. Well, they um, deliberately, you know, poking you with, with that question. As it were. And, um, <laughs> you know, a delightful, delightful question that is. Um, I really have never been scared by Doctor Who, but I swear I was scared by Day of the Moon. Once they hit that haunted mansion, yeah, I was creeped out. E- even I that really corridor honestly, they were in, you know, leading up to the room, it, yeah. it, it had like this slanted roof, and it just had it was a creepy corridor. Everything about it was exactly. just creepy. But, but uh, the woman appearing out of the hatch, and then the hatch mm-hmm. not even being there—that thing yeah. freaked me out. But but I think specifically what is getting to me here is, you know, I was sort of. Ambivalent, I suppose, about Karen Gillan last year, because you know some episodes I thought she was great in, some I thought not so much. But th- there is one absolutely unshakable skill that the woman has as an actress, and it is the ability to realistically portray fear. Mm-hmm. If you think back to Time of Angels, she she sells that whole scene of the angel popping out of the video. Yeah, she's brilliant in it. And here, when she screamed, I jumped. Yeah, that was... In, in, yeah. You know, when she picks up the, uh, you know, the picture of herself and, and the baby, and then she turns around and there's a silence, and she screams because she just can't handle what's going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was freaking creepy. And the thing is, it's not actually scary. When you look at the individual elements, oh, there's a picture. Oh, there's you know, a guy in a rubber mask. You know, it's really not individually that that creepy. It's not like somebody's coming after her directly. It's not like somebody pulls a gun on her. It's just the weight of all the weird things that are happening crashing down upon the character, and the character can't bear that load. And she just does a tremendous job of selling that fear. Um, yeah, I thought I that scream was fantastic oh, sorry, yeah. as well. I, I just thought she really yeah. nailed that scream. I, I don't know how many takes it took, but I think she just really... I mean, that was your ultimate Doctor Who scream right there. Seriously, nobody does it better. Nobody, nobody, nobody does that better in the, in the whole history of Doctor Who. And the weird thing is, of course, it's not like we didn't see that scream coming because it was you know, a prominent feature of the trailer yeah, that we got yeah. at the end of Christmas Carol. But yet, in context, it's even scarier. Yeah, definitely. Which is remarkable. And on the other side of you know, the emotional fence, you've got Roy and his insecurity with Amy. And I kind of disagree um, with the previous caller, with Russell, um, in that I don't. This is a different side of Amy's choice, essentially. I think mm-hmm. Amy is quite firm now. Amy is absolutely, yes, I know exactly what I've done here. The doctor's my best friend, you're my husband, that's it. And I don't, th- I don't see her wavering at all in that. What's happening here, I think, are, is the seeds of doubt being planted. Well, not planted because they were always there, but germinating within Roy. Mm-hmm. And you can see it in, in Arthur Darville's face. He 
despite her reassurances, he doesn't believe that, I guess, he's worthy of her or that he deserves her or whatever. Yeah. And I, I think ultimately that's going to be the emotional strand that we're going to get through the series that I hope will lead to genuine conflict, possibly breakup, certainly some good old shouting scene, something, um, so that it's not just all lovey-dovey within TARDIS. I think that we're getting a, a nice thing to play with there. Um, and I, I love that. I love that there's going to be some, some reverse sexual tension, sexual tension after you get the girl, which is good. Well, it's also um, good that it's slowly building up. It's just not like we all, yeah. all of a sudden that's episode, you know, it's, we, we turn into a new episode and all of a sudden he's having doubts all of a sudden. Where were those doubts before? It's good that this is something that's gradually building. I think you're quite right. And I think that this is, to me, this is the joy of these two episodes. Uh, although I can see how they might be read as confusing, what I like about them is, is that they're just giving us lots of things, one right after the other, that we're going to follow throughout the series. Um, and, it, and it is just just the hint, just the question mark, not, not even necessarily the full question, just something's weird here. What the hell is it? Um, I, I think, too... Uh, you know, the river thing, it's, that may be the weakest of all three of our sort of major sort of plot lines. Because um, I, I don't know, I'm not quite buying this new idea that's been thrust in here that their lives are working in reverse order to each other. Even if that's a generalization, I don't think I really understand that. If their lives are more or less working in reverse order to each other, why do they need to do the synchronization of diaries? I think it has to be more random than... Well, yeah, I agree. I, I, quite I, always, well, I, I always thought it was random. Doctor, didn't she? she thought it was the 906 Doctor. Yeah. She? I, I, yeah, well, I don't know about that, but I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you said, Lewis. No, I just, right. it would make more sense if it is random, because uh, that's, I mean, mm. having it in reverse order is just as implausible as having it in same order, you know, because if they're both time traveling, then they should it should just be random. Yeah. I mean, unless there's I, some I, other I, force guiding it that's, that's you know, that making it, that it it's happening sequentially in reverse. It's, it just seems to yeah, a bit it, odd that it, it's it's exactly reverse. It is odd, and I, I mean, I don't I don't know what to make of that. And that's for me of all the questions that have been asked, I think that's the one that is maybe the most problematic because it just the new information that we have gotten doesn't seem to follow the same pattern that we had previously in season four and yeah. season five mm -hmm. to me. I don't know. No, I, well, I agree. I um, mean, the whole thing, like you said, with the diary was, uh, you you know, why would you need the diary if it's happening in reverse order? You would know that, you know, you pretty much know, you know. I, I would I would think, I guess. Um, I, I, another thing that I really like is just as a general palette. I mean, first of all, let's talk a little back behind the scenes stuff. Um, I would agree with you, Lewis, that, I mean, in terms of how the thing looks, mm -hmm. it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's obscenely better than, um, well, certainly anything in season one through four, probably better than most of season five, although it might be on a part. And uh, you know what? Screw that. No, it is actually better looking to me than even The Big Bang, which was, you know, expertly done. And, and I think even A Christmas Carol, which I think was the previous record holder for me. But I, this, this team of Toby Haynes and um, Stefan Pearson, 
you know, the director, cinematographer, mm-hmm. best friends since college or whatever. Phenomenal. Just a phenomenal team, and I've loved the fact that Doctor Who Confidential has done a day in the life with each one of them. Yes, and I, mm-hmm. I, I particularly like that about this Confidential that we got to see how a director of photography works on Doctor Who because we've only had you know just bare glimpses of their work on Doctor Who Confidential before, but to actually walk around with him was just fabulous. Um, so that it just looks great. But I think as, as a narrative sort of overall arc, the thing uh, I think that Dave was saying of it's a roller coaster. You just get on the roller coaster and you, uh, you know, you let the wind rip past you and hope that you have a good time. That's certainly how I felt when I watched it the first time. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. I, I was mind blown, honestly, when I was watching both of these episodes the first time. Then I went back and sort of watched them again, and uh, questions started to creep in. You know, for the second episode, let's say, why in the world is there this? Um, uh, at the the pre-title sequence, why is the FBI chasing all these people? You know, why why did the companions separate in the first place? It kind of doesn't make sense. And then you think about it some more, and it's like, well, they need to build this prison in a top-secret facility, so they need to have some kind of conflict which will cause um, Canton, Delaware, to have access to Area 51. And, uh, you know, so you can understand that they're fabricating something that will put them in the right place so they can build this prison, which turns out, you know, it's not about capturing the doctor, even though that's what we're led to believe at the beginning. It's actually about capturing one of the silences. It's about having a room from which to broadcast a signal Mm -hmm. to Apollo 11, even though we're told to begin with, oh, nothing can get out of here. Well, yes, one thing can get out of here, and we're going to insulate ourselves from the rest of the silence and be able to do it. And so it's, you know, when you really go and watch it more times, you, you find, well, actually, you know, a lot of this actually does make some sense, and you put it together um, in, in a way that is much more satisfying for me than Big Bang. I don't, you know, I've watched that thing so many times, and there's still things about it I just don't understand. But this one, the more I've watched it, the more I've been like, you know, yes, that's logical, but I can, I can construct things together and it's very fun doing that now but it might be well well frustrating to somebody who's never seen doctor who before i don't know but for me i just love the jigsaw puzzle of it the only thing i really don't like about this entire thing as a generalization is the depiction of america i I, I don't even know how to, to tell you how frustrated I am with the Oval Office. And, you know, I've gone on the Gallifrey base and posted things, and people have been like, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. It's fine. It's not fine. The point of telling a historical story, especially if you build the Oval Office from the ground up, is to build it with historical accuracy. They didn't build the Nixon White House. The Nixon White House in 1969 is very well photographed because of the Apollo 11 mission, because of the fact that Nixon placed a telephone call to the Apollo astronauts from his Oval Office. We know what it looks like. It doesn't look like this set. This set is the West Wing set. It's a hybrid of the Clinton White House and the Bartlett White House. And the moment that I saw it, I was like totally taken out of the episode. I really dislike the fact, you know, there's no, there's no presidential seal in the 1969 White House. There's an ugly aquamarine carpet. There's no real decoration. But I, on the I wall think most because, people won't 
catch that. I, I certainly I understand that. I, I certainly wouldn't. I didn't. I mean, I I know there's been changes in the White House, and but I you know the desk has changed over the years, and I know there's been other changes, and but I I, I don't know it that diehard well to to spot them, and I think most people, especially in the UK, won't notice them either. Uh, I know, and you're and you're selling the people in the UK on the West Wing because that's what they see. I understand. Yeah. Well, a, they made in the confidential. They made a point of that. It was um, I think it was right. Moffat had Stephen Moffat had mentioned that that it was or maybe I, don't know, I might be getting confused. Someone had said no, made a reference. You're to, right. It was Stephen Moffat. You're right. To, to and to so the he signed off on these designs, and you know I understand all that. But the thing about it is, at the back of my mind, I just think. It is still somewhere that Doctor Who is an educational television show, mm-hmm. and that if you start from the ground up and you build something, you might as well get you it have right. The ability to make it right, yeah, you might as well get it right. it right from the start. Yeah, uh, that's. I, I know. Mean, I agree. I mean, and, and 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 to be honest with you, if you had made it the Nixon White House, I mean Nixon Oval Office, a British audience would have accepted that. Because all you need to know about the Oval Office is that it's an office which is oval. There aren't too many of those around. And you don't have to make it look like the West Wing White Oval for people to buy that it is, in fact, the Oval Office. You just have to make it an Oval Office and put, you know, the appropriate sort of things around. And people will say, oh, yeah, that's the Oval Office. That's fine. So there's that part. And I I know that I'm making a mountain on multiple. But then again, I don't have that much bad to say about the episode. Um, And then there's, uh, you know, that cafe at the beginning that's so... Not really something you would find truly in America, uh, except in maybe Disney World or some other incredibly fake place. Um, it, it it looks like a foreigner's idea of what America looks like and what an American diner is. Um, it, it it was terrible, I thought, and and I also you know I know that some people, even Americans, have no problem with the gun references. But I was actually insulted by, the, in part one, the, um, you know, doctor is negotiating his way out of having guns trained on him, and then River comes out of the TARDIS and said, they're Americans, they're going to kill you, or implies that they're going to actually shoot. And it's like, did you really need to do that? Did you really need to paint the entire country with that brush? Couldn't you have just said they're Secret Service? That would have made the same point. Um, and, and that would have been well within their job description. So, I, you know, I, I don't like the anti-American. It's too easy. It's too cliche a thing to say that Americans like their guns, and so we're going to take a pot shot at them. When, in fact, you know, public opinion in America is that Americans don't like guns, that the majority of people will not interpret the Second Amendment as, you know, the NRA does. So I just think it's a bad depiction of America. And, you know, I swear to God, that music for Nixon in episode two, why do the, in the soundtrack, which I don't understand they why had that, in the, the soundtrack. The presidential, dun, 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 dun. Hail to the Chief. Yeah. Why do Hail to the Chief every time he comes in? The only reason is because it's for comic effect. And I just thought that was, frankly, laughable in a jar jar kind of laughable way you know i mean it was just horrible um as for milligan's you know impersonation of of nixon i thought it was mostly pretty good um i i i, I said on Colton collective that i thought it was certainly better than 
the um, Ian McNeese, William Churchill, uh, Winston Churchill. And I stand by that. Um, but then again, I don't think that, the, you know, Ian McNeese was deliberately not trying to do Winston Churchill. He was trying to do a, an impression of Winston Churchill. And he said that, and he hit that mark. And so, you know, he did what he wanted to do. I think that, you know, it's not really saying all that much to say that this Richard Nixon was better than, than you know, Ian McNeese's. But, um, you know, it's still... Uh, it's still obviously kind of fake. I mean, Milligan is the wrong body type for Nixon. Nixon was a much smaller guy than this. Uh, he was very thin. He was, you know, like 140 pounds dripping wet, you know, and they really got the wrong body type. But, you know, what are you going to do? Um, you, you can only go with the pool of actors that you have available to you and for, you know, trying to find a, a an American actor or Canadian actor re resident in the U.K., they did a pretty good job. So props to them for that, for what they had to work with. But again, you know, those are just my minor things. I think, I think that we had sort of cliche America there rather than, you know, a, a story that was actually just a good American tale. I'm still longing for that Doctor Who tale that's about some little town in Mississippi or some little town in Oregon or, you know, just something that is truly about an American setting um, rather than just, you know, here are the, the highlights. That said, I mean, you got to love the footage that they got in Arizona and what they got in, in Utah. I mean, it was gorgeous. It is, however, a little bit hollow and a little bit fake because there is no narrative reason for it to take place there. If you think back, you know, why are they there? They are there merely because that is where the invitation sends them. There is no reason for them to be in that space. And that's a little bit unfortunate. I would have liked there to be, I would almost rather them have taken the money and gone to Washington and actually, you know, had some scenes around, you know, the monuments that are in Washington than, you know, going out to Monument Valley in a way. But anyway, great episode, and I quite agree with you, Lewis. It's, it's a five. All right. I was just going to ask you. Okay. Well, thank you again, Dawson. We're pushing two hours here, so we need to kind of wrap things up soon. Yes, indeed. Thank you. All right. And uh, as always, thanks for your Cheers. comments. I, I think we have one other person in the queue, if we can just get Helen in just very quickly. But we need to wrap things up because it is we are pushing two hours now. Helen, is that you? Hey, Lewis. Hi, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. I mean, uh, health-wise, but other than that, I'm doing great. I mean, uh, I just knew that Dr. Who was really blowing me away as usual, and, uh, yeah, you know, really lifted my spirit. It's like it was so good to see that Stephen has taken the helm into firm control and has directed things the way it should. Finally. <laughs> So you enjoyed the, these so, last two stories, these last two episodes, rather. Oh, oh yeah, I really did. I mean, um, I don't know if I got as scared as easily, but it was a, the first time I saw it through, um, I was, like, jumping out of my chair, too. <laughs> and uh, I think the preview they showed on BBC America had me going. first time I saw it when they are in the Oval Office, and... I don't know what happened to that scene that was where they, the girl says, look behind you. 
Uh, I, they might have cut that out of the final uh, edit because <laughs> uh, I was looking for that scene where they're on. The Are you talking about the prequel? You talking about the prequel yeah. scene? Yeah, the prequels don't. Game, yeah, the prequels aren't in the actual episodes. They're that's why they're, they're separate little like mini episodes that take place before the actual episodes. They're not really technically prequels. They're um, you know um, teasers, if you will, or yeah, prologues. The little teaser blew me away. I was I watched that and I was like, oh my god, you know, oh, this is the president of the United States. How did you get my number? <laughs> So uh, I, just, I just loved it. Yeah, I was like. Uh, so how, how would how would? Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I I, I don't mean ahead. to rush you, but we are. We need to wrap things yeah. up soon. Well, go ahead, Louis. No, I was going to ask you how did you how would you rate the two episodes together? Uh, I gave it a five out of five. Tardis groans. All right. Very good. Any? Uh, uh, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Um. No, I said. You know, uh, that, that little girl, everyone's wondering, like, who she is. Well, it's pretty obvious she's the doctor's daughter. Well, I mean, we don't know that yet. We, we don't want to get into too much speculation. Uh, what but other time lords are there around? <laughs> I mean, of course, you know, there's the mentally, there's probably the monk, or Artemis, uh, or Mortimus, I should say, who's still around. There's still the Ronnie. Uh, the master well, might be. We, we, again, we don't know who's still around after this whole Gallifrey and the time wars and all that. Everything is sort of reset. So, um, yeah. Who knows? So, who knows? Gallifrey, actually, in actuality, might be back in place where it belongs. So, uh, yeah, I'm kind of hoping, you know, that this Rathon that we've been dealing with turns out to be um, an alternate. Because it was, I was laughing hilariously when. Amy calls um, the doctor, oh, he must, after his death scene, and says, oh, he must be a clone or something. And I'm, like, laughing because there's been theories bounded around where, you know, there are a lot of clones going around. <laughs> well, there's a lot of death going around. All, all the major uh, players have uh, been died and then not died. I mean, uh, I think that's one tack that uh, is going to have to be given a rest for a while. Yeah, I, I agree, you know. I, I think that, oh, did he die or did not? I mean, the math is like the worst example of that. Because, you know, to say you've been disintegrated by the Daleks on a trial, tell you about, you know, the 96 movie, and then all of a sudden you're put in a box and you come back. And <laughs> it's kind of like, can't the poor guy stay down? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're yeah. we're going to have to see. We'll have to wait and see who this girl turns out to be, and and that's yeah. one of the questions. Anyway, I, I need to wrap things up, and I want to thank you for calling. And uh, oh, you know, well, if, you, you, if you if you, I'll talk to you maybe next week. We'll next week we're we're not recording next week because it's Mother's Day. We'll be in the U.S. We'll be uh, back in two weeks. So hopefully you can join us then. If you can um, call in earlier, and we'll get you on. Uh, you know when we do our um, because we'll give you preference as a Pachak supporting subscriber, and you can get in early. Yeah, please subscribe, subscribe. <laughs> thank you, thank you again for your support. <laughs> Okay, and you too. And uh, you have a wonderful day, Lewis, and it's been a pleasure. Same here, same here. I'm sorry to rush you off. Cheers. Bye. So, Dave and Graham, uh, we didn't hear your Tardis groans, so if we can get your well, feedback. Well, I, 
if it if it wasn't for the fact, I mean, I, I realise and uh, I, I take delight that there are unanswered questions, but I still did feel at the end of the second part uh, I could have done with one or two more things answered. So um, let's say four and I think a four and a half overall, yeah. And uh, Graham. Yeah, I'm basically going to say four and a half. It's not the best episode of Doctor Who for me ever, but blum and heck, it was close. Um, made, made well, for me, it's, like I said, it's cerebral, made me think, uh, didn't make a lot of sense in places, uh, but eventually made sense when you thought of uh, stuff for a little while. Um, now, I've got uh, a bit out of the chat as well. Um, uh, Sonic Sam uh, from Canada and uh, the Seventh Doctor both gave it a four and a half as well. And apparently, uh, according to Reese, he's no longer in the room now. Uh, the actual figures at the moment is 8.86 million people for the uh, Impossible Astronaut. Or was that the seeds of death? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, this is gonna get... Well, yeah. that's so, gonna. Yeah. Wrap things up for our review here of the impossible astronaut, and I'm so glad I didn't say planet too often. I think I got it once in there, and uh, and the and Dave of the Moon, or as I <laughs> day of the Moon that is. So thank you both, uh, Dave Dave Cooper and um, and Graham Sheridan, who uh, helped out today, and always a pleasure to have you both on the show. Enjoyed it. All right, so again, we'll be back with another live show in two weeks. We'll be doing two live recordings back-to-back, uh, -back, so we need to keep them within an hour each so we can get the get them done. We'll be reviewing the next two episodes, The Curse of the Black Spot and The Doctor's Wife. So until then, cheers, everyone. Bye. been listening to Doctor Who Pachak, presented by the fan-run Gallifreyembassy.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Pachak is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Pachak theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and is presented to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made part possible in by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode is also supported by the Pachak Podcast Companion app for iOS devices available in the iTunes App Store. Dare I ask, will I be remembered? Oh, Dickie. Tricky Dickie. They're never going to forget you. <laughs>